This episode was recorded with an audience of Ambition and Power members. Empower is a continuous learning program that rethinks how you learn new topics within the field of design. Instead of attending a conference, you attend Ambition and Power and take part in one or several tracks taught every week by industry design leaders. For more details, visit uxpodcast.com forward slash empower. UX Podcast Episode 304. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. Helping the UX community explore ideas and share knowledge for over a decade. We are your hosts, James Roy Lawson. And Pat Axbom. We have listeners in countries and territories all over the world, from Morocco to Croatia. And joining us today is the brilliant Natalie Marie Dunbar, author of From Solo to Scaled, Building a Sustainable Content Strategy Practice. And I have to say, it's an extremely actionable book. Immediately useful from the first chapter. It's like, get the plug in right away at the beginning there, Power. It's like, buy this book, I love it. Anyway, Natalie is a UX-focused content strategist with a unique blend of skills as a journalist, content writer, and user experience researcher. On top of all this, there is an apparent fascination with buildings. Your book, Natalie, it mentions building in its subtitle and subsequently then makes use of plans, construction, nuts, bolts, groundwork and foundations. And so you make some clever use of building metaphors throughout the book. Tell us a little bit more about the story behind that. Well, first, thank you so much for inviting me uh, to join you uh, today. Um, And yes, I have had a fascination with buildings and construction for as long as I can remember. I think probably growing up as a, as a kid in New York and being adjacent to New York city and just, you know, being watching high rises go up, you know, throughout my childhood uh, just always has fascinated me. I had an early career in um, building management, commercial building management and ended up working with a, uh, our construction uh, administrator on tenant improvements within the building that we were managing um, and to, to better understand some of the terms that were being, you know, used and bandied about and just some basic construction uh, ideas. I found the book called Why Buildings Stand Up. Um, and that book has stayed with me throughout so many careers, including the one that I'm in now. Uh, And so when I started thinking about building a content strategy practice, um, and I I talk about this in the book, I would often hear, you know, directors and others talk about standing up a practice. And that immediately made me think of standing up a building. And then when I started thinking about uh, the content strategy practice blueprint is what I call it, um, which are the five elements that basically the book, you know, that's, that's the, the meat of the book, um, the steps and processes that you can take to build a content strategy practice. Well, it all seems to make sense. Blueprints, construction, standing up a practice, 
And so here we are. And for me, that makes it not just metaphors. It, it makes it so tangible, knowing you have that background and using all these phrases. It, that's all I'm thinking about as you go through the chapters, which is it, it's a new experience for me, actually. And it seems so well-structured. It works for everything, yeah. <laughs> really. Thank you. Yeah, I was hoping that um, that I could find the balance of not having too much construction metaphor, but just enough. Um, I had yeah. an excellent editor, Marta, who helped me and, and would reel me in when it's like, okay, you're going a little bit deep on the construction. So let's pull back <laughs> and let's get the content strategy in there. And it was awesome. I guess it was a really excellent experience. I guess the sign is there is when you're when your editor kind of comes onto Zoom meetings wearing a yellow hard hat, you know you've probably <laughs> pushed them too far. Exactly, exactly. Now, the blueprint though that that you mentioned that is the the, the cornerstone um, of the book, and ties in excellently course to the blue um, to the uh, building metaphors, and yeah, five components is what you list. And uh, Pears alluded already to this that it's it feels very practical when you're reading the book, and the the blueprint laying it out very early on, I suppose, helps that. Um, just the first one, um, making the business case. Um, I think too too often maybe we as designers, irrespective of which part of design we're working with, we I think we actually take business cases for granted sometimes. We know we just want to get on with producing instead of, instead of really thinking about why. Um, so dive in. Tell us a little bit about the first part of the blueprint. Yeah, I think um, I think for content strategy and depending on where you where you work, content design. Um, I think for content folks we are more often in a position of having to make the business case for why content is an asset to the business um, and why this additional process, if you will, should be implemented in order to create and support experiences, digital experiences that are useful and usable. Um, it's not just about the copy. It's not just about writing nice words. Um, I've been in positions as a content strategist where I've never written a word at all. Um, I would come up with a strategy and a plan, um, you know, after looking at, you know, current state content. Um, usually there's a kickoff that's either going to be a redesign or uh, it could be um, why can't I think of what the word is? A, uh, you know, moving over to a different platform, uh, migration. There it is, uh, and or you know, any any number of things. And if we wait until the end to to consider content, what ends up happening is you have this beautifully designed digital experience, but content that that is an absolute must, say because of regulation or whatever, doesn't fit. So you break the design and it's two weeks before launch and why didn't we think of this before? That's where content strategy comes in, but that's also where we have to make the case with our cross-functional teammates, departmental partners that may be like marketing or uh, legal, uh, other areas of compliance uh, and leadership um, that content strategy and content should be considered 
very early in the process. We needed a seat at the table with our visual design partners and other partners, including engineering and others, so that we all have the same understanding of what it's going to take to launch or, you know, release whatever thing it is that we're building. Um, and I should say, too, that all of the steps that come after making the business case still ladder up to support that. So you're constantly at each stage reminding your partners and, and leadership of why this is important, why content strategy is important. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, it seems like as designers, we once upon a time had to really fight for our existence. It was quite a lonely role. And we had to argue for why we were needed on teams and why we perhaps needed more people as well. Uh, but it seems that content experts have also are having the struggle constantly as well in that they're coming. Why is it that we are so, when we are consuming content, it's so obvious that the content is the most important thing because that's what I'm looking for. But when we're building stuff, it seems that a lot of people forget about how important the content is. What's the key issue here? Um, I think the, the key issue is uh, advocacy um, from sponsors and other partners within an organization or agency who recognize that there is a need to think strategically about content. That again, it's more than just, you know, about grammar and style and voice and tone. Those things are all very important. But if you're not tracking content from the start of any initiative, um, you're going to find that maybe there's content that's that's outdated content that's redundant uh content that in large enterprises you'll have it's not quite duplicative in that it's exactly the same word for word but you may have two different parts of an organization creating the same types of content but they're not talking to each other and so now you've got this redundancy and it it doesn't make dollars or cents for the business because the money's being spent on having these two things created. Now, sometimes that's necessary uh, in the case of, say, healthcare content or something. You may need to approach a topic that is on one end for, let's say, a uh, the insured, the customer. Whereas on the other side, you may need to have similar content that meets a compliance need. Still, content strategy aims to bring those together and see if any of that is reusable uh, to either side. And if there's a more economical way, uh, more sensible and strategic way to approach creating content like that, so that it's that, that it's not seen as duplicative by crawlers, because that's a whole nother story. And yeah, exactly. And then also that, you know, uh, we're using resources in a, in a smart way for creating that type of content. Yeah, because with, with that particular example, you've got, you, you've, you're having to collaborate with um, specialists in medical text who have to write the tests, tests in a way which actually really does do the job of describing them in the medical way they have to. And then you've got compliance or insurance. Legal has to basically make sure you're writing it. So you, you are marshalling to at least two specialist groups and collaborating with them. I guess this kind of brings on to another point in the blueprint about um, how important it is to build relationships with these different groups um, and cross-functional teams. Absolutely. Um, I think uh, out of all of the 
the components in the blueprint, um, that theme kind of runs throughout. Mm. Um, I've seen practices fail because there wasn't a conversation about or, or an alignment about what content strategy is, what value it brings, what people understand about it. Um, and what I try to, to uh, underscore in the book is it's, it's, it's less about, hey, I'm a content strategist and I'm going to come in and I'm going to save the day and here's how I'm going to do it. It's more about what do you understand about content strategy? What are some content related or possible content related pain points that you've experienced as a developer, as a visual designer, as a researcher, whoever you are? Um, in that cross-functional team, as a marketer even. Um, and I say that because there are organizations that have content folks in UX and content folks in marketing. And we, we want the experience for our users to be seamless. They don't need to know that there's two different teams doing things. They just want that one seamless experience. But in order to do that, building those strong relationships is absolutely key. Um, and it's also key to the longevity of the practice. Um, so that, 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 that second component of the blueprint to me is crucial. You also said, you said pain points. And to me, that uh, reminds me of what, what you said in the book about making customer journey maps. And because something that, that's something we have as a practice in UX. And we rarely apply it to our own work. But you, you describe it so well in the book, how you actually apply that tool to make your processes much easier to understand, but also to identify specifically the pain points to understand who do I need to talk to and how do I get their voices to be heard? Yeah, that that was a process that led to um, the actually the, the third component in creating frameworks and, and tools to build with. Um, you know, what I found in my practice building experience is that if I could use tools that my visual and UX design partners were familiar with to kind of turn it as a lens onto content strategy to help them understand this is what the practice brings to the table. This is the value that the practice will add. It, you know, there were a lot of aha moments um, because we're, we're using a tool and speaking a language and taking an approach that is um, that is very familiar to those partners. Um, and I'm not an expert in any of those things, but for the times that I've had to participate in journey mapping, participate in uh, service blu uh, blueprint exercises and, and things of that nature, my brain is always thinking, oh, how can we drill down into content strategy and design and, and use this tool to help people understand what it is that we do? Um, and that seems to resonate uh, with, with a lot of people, um, folks who have read the book that are not content strategists who may still be responsible for standing up a team or bringing strategists or design content designers, UX writers onto their teams have said, oh, that helps me to understand how to lay this out for leadership or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I got it straight away, just reading. That. Oh, yeah, of course. That's how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me very happy. <laughs> the, the the third one, when we're going through them like that, the, um, the third one, uh, that 
that was the big one. The critic, well, you're talking now about the tools and the usefulness, and I agree with Per. It's um, yeah, you, you can see. I, I don't want to have another silo. So the 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 way that you can use these tools to speak the language of the other um, um, teams and organisations involved in what you're doing is wonderful. But just the um, creating frameworks um, and creating tools um, to build with, which is point three in the um, blueprint. I I took a breath at this point um, because it, it felt this form felt the big like the big one. Um, I mean, I mean, the other st- I'm not that the other stuff's really kind of you know, small details, but here is when I really just stopped and thought, okay, because oh, we we started talking in the book now about um, process frameworks and and end to end and repeatable and tools evaluation. There was a, there was a lot of stuff which experience has said these are not small tasks in um, a lot of organisations. Exactly, um, that chapter. Uh, probably, I want to say that I wrote that chapter first because I kind of wrote out of order um, at at the suggestion of my editor. She's like, take the, take either the one that you think you can knock out or the one that you think is going to be like, you know, the meatiest one. And uh, that one, I think what was, what was difficult throughout the whole book actually was balancing how to build a practice with how to do content strategy. The book is not about how to do content strategy, um, but it does rely on frameworks and tools that are used to do uh, what I call project level content strategy or practice work. Um, so project by project, client by client, depending on where you work. Um, but that, that, that framework, that I, that the process framework, that was when I stood up my first practice at an agency, that was a game changer. Um, that was the, the process that, uh, it was a little painful at first because I had walked into uh, an agency where I was brought on to, to focus on a specific project uh, with a longstanding client in healthcare and the, uh, creative director knew that we really needed some content strategy help with this project. We had an established UX lead, an established visual designer, and an IA uh, working, uh, information architecture, or architect working on, uh, on, on this project, but they, there was a feeling that the content definitely needed some attention. So what happened was I kind of cruised in like, hey, you know, where are the personas and, you know, where's this thing and where's that thing? And I was kind of stepping on toes inadvertently. Um, and what we realized after, you know, going back and forth for like two weeks and not really getting anywhere was that we needed to get in the room and figure out what our process was going to be. And that is where the process framework, at least the, the earliest version of that was born um, out of a need to uh, not only get alignment, uh, uh, about what the practice, what content strategy was as a discipline, because I was the first one that they had ever hired and brought into the agency. They had folks that, that worked on social media campaigns and things like that, but not someone that was UX focused. Um, and so understanding where those handoffs happen, understanding how long those phases take, um, all of those things, we literally whiteboard, markers, uh, <laughs> Post-it notes, the whole nine yards. And it, it, it took probably a few weeks 
um, to really nail that down while the clock is ticking because we've got something that we have to deliver for our client. But it really set the tone uh, once we had the process laid down. Everybody knew what they wanted, what they needed to do, how long it should take or how long it would take. And yeah, we were off to the races, so to speak. Um, and because of that, uh, the agency leadership was like, hey, we have this other project <laughs> with this other client that we might need. And yeah, the rest is history. Uh, we brought on a lot of uh, clients and were able to um, not only, you know, we, it was an advertising agency with a very healthy uh, digital experience team as a part of that. So we would have you know, a, a fully integrated campaign sometimes with the client that included all of the, you know, TV commercials, radio ads, uh, billboards, um, bust kiosk artwork, the whole bit. And there would be a digital experience as well. So our work could actually impact all of all of those deliverables. Um, but it made it so much easier for us to know what we needed to do and when, and even to be able to articulate to our clients, this is about how long these processes will take and whether, you know, determining whether or not timelines were, were realistic and, and whether we, we could do the work that needed to be done within a, within the time frame that was given. And also the, the, the clarity about who needs to be involved in the, I mean, this alignment oh is goodness. one thing, but then you've got the clarity that that gives you. Exactly. We had our developers that, Everything that we built at, uh, within that agency was on Drupal. So we had our, our Drupal developers in the room. We had our project and product managers in the room. We had visual, as I said, the, the research was done by myself and the UX lead uh, within the agency, which was great because I had that experience. So um, we would do both uh, research with, with users and, and customers, we would also do stakeholder interviews. Um, so we, everything across the board um, from kickoff to completion, anybody that was involved in that process, even if they just touched something for a week, we had them in the room. Wow. What I love about that story as well is how it began with a struggle. It began with something that felt I'm failing here. And there had to be so, so many components to bring that back on track. I mean, you had to recognize it was failing and perhaps why. And you also had needed to have that safe space where you could actually bring that up and feel comfortable uh, saying that this isn't working. We need to do something different. And somebody who actually did listen to that and was wanted to, to do something different. Now that speaks to almost the different steps of your book where also you're talking about you needed to recognize tension and compression where the, you were being spread thin and we you had pushback and you needed that safe space to actually be sustainable and recognize where you get, get back on track. Yep, that was, um, that experience was pivotal, pivotal in my career um, for sure because um, I was really nervous about whether or not it was going to work. I was a, I was brought in as a contractor uh, for that particular project, and um, you know I I I will admit uh, with, with no shame that I there were days when I was on the train home going oh they're going to figure out that I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> it all made sense on paper or in pixels. But actually trying to implement it was, I, I literally had to go into the creative director's office one day and say, you know what, 
we need to talk. I don't know if this is working. I don't know. This is what I, what I envision happening. Um, I am getting pushback uh, from folks who I didn't mean to step on their toes, but apparently I have. How do, how do I fix this? And uh, they saw the value in, in what the discipline could bring, not only to that particular project, but they were looking further down the road. Um, the, which I didn't realize at the time. I thought it was just going to be, I was going to be in, do this one project, I was done. And uh, I actually ended up, as work started to slow down, um, I left and took another assignment because I was contracting at the time and got a call back uh, for a huge project uh, that they had brought on a, a government client, a U.S. government client. And they were like, not only do we want you to come back, we want to bring you on full time. And uh, that was great because then we could continue the work that we had started while I was there. You know, so there was like a maybe a two month period and I was back and yeah, just, you know, running, running with the process and continuing. We had created the framework, but now I could really like cement things and we could see if this was going to be a repeatable, repeatable process that was going to work. And it did. But, but it, also, it also sounds like that that was the the um, that's very much connected to um, the fourth point of the blueprint with the um, the, the sizing the scaling because because there someone else picked up on that um, strategic strategic aspect of of looking what's ahead looking what's coming and kind of picked it up for you and said look you know we can we can move we can roll this out and do this again or we can repeat it and right. That for yeah, me that's is the, exactly right. the picking up from from you know, the fourth point there, resizing the practice to meet client um, or project demand, that being ahead of the curve, reading the room, you know, looking what's further down the road. That was exactly right. We did have that. While I was there for the first engagement, there was a second client that we were able to um, uh, pitch content strategy to, and uh, they, they uh, agreed to have us come in. Not only did we help them by creating a content strategy. Uh, we also kind of embedded in their team and helped them with the writing and because uh, we, we were working with a, a marketing team and they weren't as familiar. Um, but yes, the, out of that right sizing the practice to meet the demand uh, was, was key, a key pivot uh, in, in the relationship that I had with that agency while I was there. And then when I went on to build a practice at a larger enterprise, um, to, to meet project demand. Uh, yeah, that, that, that part of that right sizing and just knowing when is the time to scale uh, was, was key. And one thing I did during the research before we, we, we um, talked to you today, I saw um, a, um, a review that um, Carolyn Jarrett um, did of the book. Um, we've talked to her um, before in the podcast and she's another Rosenfeld author. Um, and she she said in that review that this is a book that you can you can pivot and reuse for for many different aspects of of the design world we live in, not just content strategists. And I I have to admit, I have to admit after looking through the book now that I think she's completely right. Um, I, I I said to Paula this morning I think you could you have an excellent list of um, and a structural alignment I think you have a wonderful list of the you mentioned a lot of them now in the in, when we talked earlier about the um the, the icebreaker bit when you're talking about uh, visual designers or UX designers research and so on uh, I said to Pat you could switch out one of those for you know the content designers in the book and yeah I mean some bits won't make sense but a lot of it you're just going oh yeah this is how I build 
I'm really excited about that. There was a moment when I was writing where I was like, should we change the title? <laughs> um, because it, it, but, but I was trying to not get too excited and not get ahead of myself, but um, I've had so many people bring that point back to me and say, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a user researcher, but I've been looking through the book and I feel like, you know, I could use this to help, you know, sell our practice or so on and so forth. I think, um, that's kind of one of the hidden gifts, um, of, of having written this and, uh, literally from just, you know, from, from scratch, from my brain, trying to organize and think through how did I make this work at the agency? And then how did I go and scale this at the next organization where I build a practice? And, you know, I'm going to cheat a little bit, um, getting to that last step of how do I define success at a practice level? Because we're also used to, you know, KPIs and OKRs and this kind of thing at the project level. But now we're talking about practice level. Are we hitting our goals? Are we hitting our milestones? Taking some of those collective, some of those uh, individual measures of success from our project work and then applying it, you know, in an aggregate uh, to the practice. Um, are we re redefining or, or reestablishing or creating uh, voice and tone and style guides? Are we, you know, tracking our success um, in um, the number of partners throughout an organization that we're working with? You know, maybe we work with, you know, one or two teams who might see the value of content strategy, but, you know, year over year, that's increasing. Um, mm. So many ways to look at uh, how we can can measure success and continue to scale, uh, you know, once we've right-sized and then deciding, you know, do we want to stay where we are? Are we good? Or do we want to build, you know, bring on yeah. more resources um, because we're successful? And then repeating the process. I had several aha moments, I have to say. I have several aha moments during that chapter of measuring success uh, where, where you said essentially that office hours could be a measure of success. And I was like, oh, and when you went through it, it's like, of course, because it's all about, am I am I helping these practitioners, the content designers and the product market, am I helping them use the guidelines and frameworks in our practice to do better work? And I can measure that by how much they actually talk to us and the conversations that happen. And it's like, ah, oh, this is this is what we want to hear. This is what I've been looking for. <laughs> Other ways, yeah. not just not just the bottom line that people keep talking about, but the, exactly. the actual benefits for people. <laughs> That's exactly right. Mm. And that was a that was a point of of um, differentiation when we were when I was outlining the book with Lou, and we had this conversation back and forth about is it the KPIs? Is it the measures that we normally use, and I, well, that's that's a discussion that happens at the project level. I want to look at how we can take this practice that we've built and see if it's doing as a practice what it's supposed to do, what we said it would do, and how do we do that? And that's one of the ways. Um, office hours are, yeah. <laughs> The more you have, the, the more successful you are, but then the more demand you have, it's like, okay, so now do we have enough resources or, you know, it's a good, again, a good problem to have. As you can tell, uh, we can't recommend the book enough. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Natalie, for joining us. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. For me, the book itself is sort of like a testament to how well Natalie does content strategy because it's almost like it's a blueprint for any nonfiction book. I'm going to actually, if I write a book, a nonfiction book in the future, I'm going to pull ideas from this. And it's also, also it's useful for any type of like advisory and creative practice in the way that it's structured because her having the building analogy and her being so well-versed and having worked with buildings makes it so believable and it makes it also tangible and, and understandable for anyone, I think. Yeah. yeah I'm really impressed. Uh, no, I love that too. And we, we, yeah. we say that multiple times, I think, in, definitely in the beginning yeah. of the interview um, of, of how applicable this can be to, to you know, all the work we, we do, I think. And content, yeah. you know, labeling it as content strategy, even Natalie herself said, we did discuss about changing the title of the book. Ah, I mean, we you can change it yourself through your interpretation. You don't need it to be exactly, changed yeah. formally. Um, and it's really, really, really useful. And I love the building analogy. I mean, me and you, mm. have, have, you know, we've, we've come across that analogy here and there over many, many years. And always seem to go back to it because, and I'm going to, I suppose, excuse the pun here, but it's, it's such a solid foundation to build examples yeah. on you know the history of building goes back you know thousands and thousands of years it's so mm. much tried and tested stuff about what you need to do how it works and what you can learn from that and an our fledgling industry um you know can lean on it an awful lot yeah granted and it's about people as well because you need people, people. to be inside the buildings yes building a society yeah thinks about the whole yeah i mean you've got um um, uh, you've got a little bit of a conflict, I guess, though, with how oh, you know the pace of change that we come across and talk about, you know, all the time. Things go mm. so fast, and with buildings, it can't go too fast because you know it can only go so fast because you need to construct something. There is a there is a degree of of um, inbuilt, you know, this forced time has to pass with building. You can't just you know, do it in one day or one week or you know a sprint. Um, and, you know, this helps you, I think, not necessarily slow things down, but it helps you being, be, um, um, I suppose, in control of your process, in control of your thoughts, in control of the, of the, of, of, of the momentum. Yeah. It's I like that, momentum. what you're saying now, in that it, has, it actually has to be sustainable. That's kind of why it works more slowly. Uh, and so if you're interested in building something sustainable, then yes, you have to think about all these aspects. Uh, yes. Something I also learned <laughs> that I had never heard of before was uh, uh, this thing called a punch list, which she also ends her, her chapters with, like a punch list or a snag list. This is a document created in the final stages of a construction project to provide a list of items that must be addressed before construction is considered complete yeah. and payment is issued. Yeah. So by ending each chapter with, with, with a punch list, uh, she tells us this is what you need to understand before uh, heading on to the next one. But it's also for me, it, it, it made me realize how many times I would have wanted to have a punch list just uh, for things like uh, accessibility, things I want to be in place before I actually consider something to be done. Mm. I was actually I was thinking about this during our lunchtime walk today about um or the punch list or or rather um you know that that whole thing about what's the what's the minimum that you know all your all the people all the groups teams um, silos involved what's the minimum they need to have understood or agreed on or 
you know, have worked with for us to go, you know, move forward. Right. It's because like, we have all these, um, you know, checklists, um, templates, um, you know, um, blueprints, what, all these different um, frameworks of working with us. Um, but this kind of, these are somewhere in all of this, there's this kind of minimum of, you know, we've got to have got this sorted. You've got to have understood this. You've got, we've got to got buy-in from these stakeholders. They've got to understand uh, how and why I'm working with this, whether it's content strategy or design or, or research or whatever. And, and, you know, I, I do wonder if there is, if there is that list out there somewhere that we've not kind of made it yet or kind of made it communicatable in um, the right exactly. way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also really appreciative of her, her chapter on retooling, uh, which is one of the steps. Uh, I don't know how many there were steps. But five. In the book, but, five, yeah. five components anyway to the blueprints. Yeah. And so with retooling, it's like acknowledging that you your tool set has to be different for different projects. And this is like sort of something we struggle with when we talk about best practices and, and finding the process that always works for everything in that, no, there's no process that works for everything. There's no tool that works for everything. It depends on the context. And so you always need to be revising and re-equipping and modifying and reorganizing to make sure that you are using the best tools for what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, helping people change in order to adapt as, an, as organizations change, I think she writes yeah. in, in that chapter. And, and yeah, and s scaffolding as well. I mean, that that's a different chapter in the book, but retooling mm -hmm. and, and creating scaffolding um, oh, to, to have sustainable um, exactly. organizations is, um, is, is an excellent use of building analogies. Mm. So as you can hear, uh, lots of praise from us for this book. <laughs> well done, Natalie. And I, yeah, I'm going to spontaneously think of a of an episode um, or or two, um, and and it's the building analogy that's going to drive this spontaneous suggestion. Uh, one of them, of course, is and we recommend this a few times: the elevator episode, ah, which we repeated course. recently, because yes. there we get into people, you know, um, well, you know, movement of people within spaces, within buildings, and so on, and and you know, also the the lead times, the complexity of of over time of of doing this kind of design work. Um, and um, that's episode one eighty eight, designing elevators. It was originally, but we repeated it uh, more recently. So yes, than, there's another episode um, with that. the same content, ninety <laughs> one. <laughs> So another episode that I'd recommend is Digital Places uh, with um, Jorge, oh, I'm not, Jorge Arango. Yeah, Spanish is not my great thing, um, which is episode um, 202, which you were part of, Per. It was me and Lisa Welshman oh, um, yeah. talking. Yeah. Um, well, about digital places. And there as well, we get into um, architecture and, um, oh, and make a few analogies. So that's worth listening to. Mm. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. pile of books your friend got crushed by a pile of books yeah but he's only got his shelf to blame <laughs>